the word of God. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, beginning to read at verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever you ask. Or we ask, I'm sorry. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup? I drink, or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Oh, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. <clears throat> Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came, <clears throat> did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of God. We're starting a new uh, sermon series today, and I remember when I was at, at Cranwell uh, doing uh, my training as in the RAF, listening, we had quite a lot of lectures on leadership, and there was an American uh, starred general there who was talking about qualities of leadership. And uh, I was wondering, I've reflected on this quite a bit recently, as I've thought about examples and models of leadership. And if I was to say, what do you think is the greatest uh, quality to look for in leaders, what you would say to that answer. What would you say would be the greatest quality? Maybe skills, gifts, uh, presence, any of those sort of things. And he said, no, his argument was, no, I'm not looking for people that are good 
at what they do. I'm not looking for people that are really skilled. He says, what I'm looking for is character. I'm looking for character. Everything else we can work with, but if there's no character, if they haven't got character, the right character, there is nothing to work with. And, and they will never be a good leader. Character is the essential part of leadership. And, and, and I've been thinking about that recently, and I think what is uh, some of the sort of foundations on which character is built? And, we're gonna, and our series is going to be based on, I think, one of the most critical parts of character, and that's integrity. Integrity, uh, and in particular integrity, is living the life of Jesus. So we're going to look at different, uh, that's the overall series, and we're going to look at different themes throughout these coming 10 weeks, and it's going to take us roughly till about Easter time to get, over, to get all the uh, subjects covered. And we're looking at today uh, integrity in Christian living, or imitating Jesus. Now, uh, apparently, I've, I've had a very quick read through uh, uh, Shane's talk, and I don't like reading things out verbatim. You probably, if you've been to this church before, you'll realise that that's just not the way I like to communicate. Uh, but he's got some interesting points down here. Some of them I'm going to be bringing out. Some of them you're just going to have my thoughts this morning. But one of the things I found quite fascinating was these, uh, they've, they've slightly gone out of fashion nowadays, but the WWJD bracelets, remember those? Yeah, what would Jesus do? Everyone, all Christians are wearing them, WWJD. Uh, and uh, apparently... Over a million bracelets are sold every month. Wow. That's obviously a lot of people that need prompting in that area. And now as we're starting to think more and more uh, environmentally, I'm starting to think how many of them are ending up in landfill? <laughs> how? If you uh, go to the gathering, the, well, only a certain number of you will be ever, ever qualified to go to the gathering. It's a men's only event. Uh, but they have, they have the little, those little uh, you know, rubber wristbands uh, they give away. They're comedy ones. And they've got ones that they give away, go save, save the rubber tree. That's quite funny as well, I think. Think about it. Of course, WWJ, what would Jesus do? And the, and, and the simple answer is, most of the time, we have absolutely no idea. We don't. I think if you, you look at the ethics, Christian ethics, it's really hard to understand that the answer to, to what would Jesus do in different situations. And I get very wary of reading articles that are trying to project how Jesus would respond in certain situations because Jesus never seemed to follow a pattern. He always seemed to catch people off guard and always seemed to respond in a very unusual and different way than, than perhaps people were ever expecting. But I think there's some traits that we can pull out from it, some uh, underlying themes uh, about how Jesus would respond in these situations and, 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 and some things that we can pick up from. But each situation is unique and we know that Jesus never seemed to follow the same pattern in anything. You know, I think Jesus was in many ways the typical child in that he got bored easily and repetition was not thing that he really enjoyed. We watch him healing the blind 
And he doesn't seem to follow a pattern at all. He does it in many different ways, creative ways. He spits on uh, the ground. He makes mud. He, he, uh, he does it by touching people. He does it just by command. Loads of different ways that Jesus seems to, to behave in different ways. So the simple question of what would Jesus do is answered with a simple answer we don't know most of the time. We know some of the characteristics that he would always display, but actually what would he do in each and every uh, situation? We don't know. Anyway, picking up the story. It's interesting because John read it out in the typical dramatic John reading, but if we try to inhabit the text here and understand a little bit about what is going on, it's painting quite an interesting story. So at the beginning, they were heading, according to Mark, from into Jerusalem. Now, uh, this is at, what, at the end of Mark's gospel. It's co- he's, he's drawing up to the clim- climax of his gospel, which is the Passion Week. So he's heading uh, to Easter. So Jer- Jesus is walking to Jerusalem and he's walking to his death. He knows what's happening. His disciples are following and Mark says that Jesus is leading the way. He's, uh, uh, he's, he's taking his disciples with him and he's at the front. So it's the mark of a leader to a dictator. You know, leaders, they say, if you want to know if you're, if you're leading, turn around and see if anyone's following. Dictators stand at the back and whip whips and, you know, the image of Pharaoh sitting on his throne, making everyone do the work. Leaders are out there and people are following them. Jesus was very much the leader. That's his model. He was leading to Jerusalem and his disciples were behind him. They were following him. And then he pulls them aside. And we know earlier in in, uh, Mark's gospel in about Mark chapter 8, that Peter has made his declaration of he's finally got it. He's finally understood who Jesus is. And Peter makes his declaration, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that has been sent by God to redeem humanity. Uh, And Mark very much portrays this to be a very slow revelation. Mark in particular uh, likes to highlight the point that men are very slow at catching on. Women are much quicker are getting this, uh, and we see that revelation happen much quicker through the, the, the female encounters that Jesus has. The male are just slow. Uh, and, but in Mark chapter 8, Peter finally gets it. And then the next couple of chapters, we see Jesus talking about his death. He's sort of pointing what's coming on. And again, they don't really like to hear this. And so they're complaining about this process. And Jesus drags them to Jerusalem. They're following him and he calls the 12 aside. Again, he talks about his death. He said, this must happen. This is what's going to happen. And he says, the son of man will be delivered over to who? The chief priests. The people who are supposed to protect the people of Israel. Uh, And the teachers of the law, they will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. The people who are supposed to uphold the law, and the law was very much uh, about punishment when punishment was due, and the the innocent should not be punished. And Jesus tells them that 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 the the Son of Man is going to be handed over to them. The innocent one will, will, will be punished. They are not going to be adhering to Jewish law. 
the innocent are not allowed to be punished under Jewish law. And, and, and they're going to put him to death and they're going to hand him over. And worse still, they're going to hand him over to Gentiles to do it. So it's even more offensive because they're not going to do it in-house. They're going to get someone else to do the dirty work for them. And he says, but, although Mark doesn't put a but, but he finishes with the three days later, he will rise again. So he's going to this, knowing what's going to happen, and he's telling his disciples, this is what's going to happen. It's interesting, isn't it, that this conversation has happened. Jesus has just spent time investing in his disciples and saying, this is what we're going into. We are walking very much into the lion's den here. We're walking into turbulent times. And the, and the, the gospel writers portray Jerusalem as a place of conflict for Jesus. Whenever you see Jerusalem in the Gospels, you'd always see it's going to be a place of conflict. It's the place where the Jewish rulers, the, the, the priests, the high priest and the teachers of the law uh, gathered. It was where they concentrated their efforts and it was always a place of conflict for him. And yet the flip side is we see Jesus walking out to other places, which are places of solitude, of places of, of uh, sanctuary for him. So like Bethany is a place of sanctuary, just over the hill as it happens, not far from where Jerusalem is, where uh, Mary, Martha and, and Lazarus live, is a place of sanctuary. And they're going into the lion's den. They've had this discussion. And, and you would imagine being the leader that, uh, that's just shared with his friends about what's going to happen. His friends would be going, oh, you know, we need to be really behind him. We need to be standing by him. We need to be supporting him in this. And the conversation doesn't go like that at all. The conversation goes like this. And in uh, Matthew's account, it's slightly different because mum gets involved. But in Mark's account, we don't see mum in this. We see James and John. And they say to Jesus, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, uh, if you've got kids and uh, you wait a while, it will happen eventually when well, she has her voice. Will you do me a favor? Can I have? It starts to go. And Jesus was not going to fall for this trap. We know we've all had those conversations, haven't we? Where people have said, oh, will you do me a favor? And if you've got any, any degree of sense, the next statement that comes out of your mouth is, what is it? <laughs> not write the blank check. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because as soon as you've written that check, you're committed. No, you guys, what is it? So Jesus doesn't fall for their thing because that's what effectively what they're asking Jesus. Jesus, write me a blank check. And Jesus says, uh, what do you want me to do for you? He, he doesn't fall for it. What is it you want me to do for you? And they say one of the most unusual questions, or they ask one of the most unusual questions, bearing in mind the context in which this is just written in. We've just seen Jesus talking about his death. It's going into a place of conflict. And they say, can we have the best seats in your kingdom? Can we be promoted to the, most, the two most important 
disciples. We want to be sit at your left and right, the places of real honor. And, and I, can't, I can imagine Jesus' face as he's sort of listening to this and going, do you remember this conversation we've just had? And this is the best you can do? And Jesus, but Jesus, you know, doesn't re- respond as I would respond. You know, you, you, there is the, the sort of, well, I know how I'd respond. I'd want to respond like uh, Captain Mannering, a stupid boy, <laughs> boys. But that's not Jesus. He said, you don't know, you don't know what you're asking And then he asked them a question. Can you drink the cup that I drink? I'll be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And this is an interesting uh, little bit of uh, imagery that Jesus is picking out. And so he's not talking, when he's talking about baptism, he's not talking about the water baptism we saw with John. That's not the image because actually we, we can all do that. And, you know, unless... You've got a real aversion to water. That, that's not the most terrifying thing that's going to happen to you in life. You know, so that's not what Jesus is talking about. He says, can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? But the imagery of baptism is exactly what Jesus is talking about. So as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, if you remember back, the imagery of, the ba- of baptism is that you are, you go, as you go under the water, you die to yourself And then when you come out of the water, you are raised to life again. That's the imagery that Jesus is picking out here. Not the, uh, are you prepared to have water thrown at you? No, that's not the imagery. The imagery is, are you prepared to die to yourself and and be raised to life again? And the cup that Jesus is talking about, if you remember uh, the whole whole story, and we're in the, the beauty of having the whole book, But James and John hadn't had that whole book yet. So they don't know what Jesus is about to say. But we've read the whole thing, haven't we? We've read the end. We know how it works out for Jesus. We know the conversations that he has with God in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, when he pleads with the Father and says, take this cup away from me. Because I don't want to drink from it. The cup that Jesus is referring to is is death. And, and so Jesus said, can you drink this cup or be baptized with the baptism that I was baptized with? And they said, yes, we can. And Jesus is probably thinking, you have no idea what I've just asked of you. But then he says, but actually, you're right, you will. And we know uh, that both uh, John he was, well, we'll talk about John in a moment. James certainly was killed uh, for his belief in uh, Jesus. John was a little bit like Rasputin, if you know your sort of Russian history. Uh, Rasputin was traditionally really difficult to kill. They tried on numerous occasions to kill that pesky monk, and they just couldn't. They managed eventually. James, uh, John, however, was very similar. They tried on numerous occasions to kill John. And they just couldn't. He just didn't seem to want to go. Uh, so eventually they stuck him on an island in, uh, uh, in exile and, and he lived out his life there. Uh, but, but they tried to kill John on numerous occasions as well. 
But this is the point we're coming to. Jesus, uh, the disciples get really cross, understandably, uh, because they're thinking, whoa, hold on. It's, it's, you know, it's like queue jumping. They're trying to get to the head of the queue and get the best seats. And the other 10 disciples are going, oh, we didn't realize this was up for grabs. Otherwise, we'd have had that conversation. Do you know? Uh, and so they get really cross. And so Jesus calms the situation down and says, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what this really means, what this looks like. And he starts then to talk a little bit about priorities. He starts to talk about his kingdom, what his kingdom really looks like. And it's very different from our understanding. I, I, you know, I've said it here before and I often talk about this in talks with, especially with my primary school kids. I said one of the best theology books you'll ever read is by Roger Hargreaves and it's, uh, it's the story of Mr. Topsy-Turvy because that is a wonderful picture of the kingdom of God. If you, it doesn't behave in the same way that we think things should behave. It doesn't have the same values. Everything is topsy-turvy, upside down, back to front, just as Mr. Topsy-Turvy is upside down, back to front, and not behaving in the way that we, he should behave. Although it's perfectly natural for him, for everyone else thinks he's weird. But Jesus is exactly like this. and said the kingdom isn't like that. It's, it's a perfectly natural uh, behavior if you understand the values of the kingdom. The problem is none of you do, and then you also look, you all look at it and think everything's back to front, topsy-turvy. He said, that's not, how, that's not right. He said, the reality is you're living, in the, uh, you're living in the unnatural. You're living in the topsy-turvy world. You just become so used to it, you don't realize that any longer. It's, uh, you know, that's the, your existence, and you've become so indoctrinated to your values that you think that's how it should be. You think that's the norm. Jesus said, that is not how it was supposed to be. And he says, Gentiles lord it over people. High officials exercise authority over people. And this, this, you know, this, the person that's speaking this is the one that, not too earlier, they'd said, you are the, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the Christ, the one who was really in authority, the one who could truly speak and give a command. And he said, but that's not how it is. And that's not how it is with me, and that's not how it is with you, Jesus has said. Instead, if you want to become great, you've got to be the servant. Now, I was having a conversation with one of my colleagues the other day. I found it, I found it mildly disturbing, actually. Uh, I was chatting to the chaplain at the university, Alison. Now, Alison is a particularly clever lady, uh, She's a doctor, uh, a medical doctor who went on to ordination. So she's, a, she's a, a smart cookie. And we were chatting and she said, oh, Paul, have you been watching Love Island? And I said, no. <laughs> and I find it more disturbing that you have been, Alison. <laughs> you know, that's... I can almost understand why I would watch it, but not you. Because you know, I hold her up in a certain degree of esteem for her sort of intellect. And she then started to justify why she watched it. Because she said, well, I'm, I, I work with students and it's really important that I get used to the sort of things that they watch. I go, oh, whatever, Alison. But, 
but the, my, my point in this is that those sort of programs, and I, I've no, never watched Love Island, so I can't comment on it, but, they, but I do watch certain reality television programs. And one of my favorite, of course, is The Apprentice. I do talk about that here quite a bit. I love it. Because it's these people who are supposed to be good at business, supposed to be, and they're trying to, and I, I love the tension that exists between their, their need for self-promotion, because they've got to be spotted by Alan Sugar, but, in, but they also have to work as a team. And that provides a degree of conflict, and they also need to be a good leader until it goes wrong. And they have to walk that fine line. Is of, I want to be seen to be doing lots of stuff, but I don't want to be... If this goes wrong and we lose, then if I've gone out of my way to be noticeable, then I put my head above the parapet and, I'm, and Alan Sugar's like to just swipe it off. So, and I love that tension that exists because it's their need, to some extent, it's their need for self-promotion. They, they want to be seen by Alan Sugar so that they get selected. They're the ones that get recruited and given a quarter of a million pounds and to work with him and the resources that he can throw into a business. Uh, and I love that. But it does, to some extent, speak about, uh, I think, it was Andy Warhol, didn't it? It said that everyone has 15 minutes of fame. And I think we've developed in our culture of, and our society of people striving for fame and celebrity purely for being celebrity. And I think that's really dangerous. You know, I have no problem people being well-renowned or world-renowned in areas that they're really good at. But I do have a bit of an issue of, you know, we line up these people on television and say, these are celebrities. And you think, okay, what have you actually done? Oh, well, hold on. You've been on a reality TV program and I won't serve you. So actually, you're not, they're, they're famous for being famous, but for nothing else. And I think that speaks about something of our nature is we want to, we, we want to strive to be popular, to be famous, but we don't necessarily want to invest in the things that, that we need to invest in to get there. We want the, the quick fix. And, and the disciples are saying, we want, to be, we want the best seats. And Jesus says, well, A, they're not mine to give, and B, that's not the way to go about it. That's not the way to be seen, to be going around it. And, and Jesus said, if you want to become great, then don't strive for greatness. If you want to become great, serve. And uh, the strapline for the uh, Air Force Chaplaincy Branch is, comes from this passage, and it's to serve and not to be served. And Jesus says, if you want to uh, be my disciple, then you've got you've to become a servant. In fact, he says... Even he used, there's two Greek words that he uses here. Uh, one is uh, diakonos, which is to serve. You've got to become a servant, like someone who waits at a table. The other one is doulos, and that's a slave. And he says, in fact, it's, it's, even, it's even more severe than just a, a, a servant, because a servant has the rights to walk out, because you're, you're, you're employed. As, as a servant, you can go, stop. 
this for a game of soldiers, I'm off. A slave doesn't get that choice. You are owned by someone and you do it because you have to do it. And, and so he, he draws on both examples here. And so, and so he, he says you've got to become the, not just the servant, but you've got to become the slave. The slave is the lowest of the low in society. In Roman society, there was nothing lower than a slave. You were the, you were the complete bottom of the pecking order that existed in their society. And, and that's the position that Jesus says, you work from that position. And the thing is, as we look through Jesus's life, we see that modeled. So as we look at imitating Jesus, the way we imitate Jesus is by serving. And Jesus said, you've got to become a servant. You've got to become a slave. And we, one of the uh, passages that we quote every year on Remembrance Sunday is, comes from the Gospel of John. And it's uh, greater love had no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. And we may look at that and you go, well, that's okay, because Jesus put that qualifier in friends. Uh, and therefore, I don't need to lay my life down for those people that I don't regard as friends. Because Jesus only said, I need to lay down my life as friends. But the problem is, Jesus had also done some work on this concept of friendship before as well. And he, and he says... Uh, when he's talking about people, he says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. And actually, he opens up the concept of friendship to, to everyone. That's how Jesus perceives us, uh, is his friends. Jesus doesn't want to lord it over us as you know, uh, God lord, lording it over humanity. He says, I invite you into relationship, all of us, every one of us. And Jesus lays down his life, not for those people who he calls his friends, but for each and every one of us. So actually the definition of friendship is everyone. And Jesus says, so lay down your life for them. Imitating Jesus is walking the path of surrender. It's walking the path of sacrifice. I'm wondering... If you had to uh, put a working definition of the word religion in, what would you come up with? Any ideas? Rules, okay. Ooh. Andrew, you don't have to put your hand up. I, I know you're at university, but just call out. <laughs> Okay, good, lovely. That's a good answer from someone studying theology at the university. Anyone else? Sorry, well, who's legalism? Ooh. Okay. You see, as Christians, I think we have this. Uh, we have this. Uh, tendency don't we to say well I'm not religious because uh, you know God's 
that what I have is a relationship with, with God. And you think, well, actually, that's a technicality. And to some extent, it's true. But most of the time, it's a fudge on it. Uh, because I think Andrew's, I would say Andrew's got a fairly decent working, uh, it's probably quite wordy, but uh, you know, a religion is effectively a set of beliefs or philosophies that gives life, your life, meaning and value. So you don't have to have a God in it because world religions don't necessarily have gods. Buddhism certainly doesn't. But it, has, it gives value to life and creation and purpose and so to some extent uh, you know working on same tim keller's definition everyone's religious we all have some set of beliefs that give us purpose and value and as uh, from the christian faith what gives us value is the fact that we have value in the eyes of god we are valued and part of our job in uh, as followers of jesus is to communicate how much God values each and every one of us. He sees us as unique. He sees us as special. He sees us as someone with purpose. But he sees us with a mission to serve and not to seek for greatness. To, to go the extra mile. These are all biblical passing, you know, biblical phrases that just uh, that become part of the sort of cultural Bible. Go the extra mile. You hear that all the time, don't you? Oh, someone's going the extra mile. Well, it's, it comes from the Bible and it's part of this concept of service, of sacrifice. Don't just do the bare minimum, but go beyond that. So as we look at integrity over these coming weeks and months, it's about imitating the life of Jesus about saying and being honest with ourselves and saying how would Jesus respond not what would he do in the same way but what characteristics would Jesus display in these situations and he would always 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 serve sacrificially serve uh, and we have certainly one voice in uh, who's been reminding us as a leadership team as we've looked at rebuilding our and just tweaking our vision to to make sure that the concept of service is is, is central to what we do as a church Should we stand Uh, we're going to be closing our service in a moment and uh, our young people are going to start wandering back in. At the end, there's tea and coffee at the back over on that side. And there'll be people over at the front here who would love to pray for you. If you've got something that you'd like prayer for, anything. Maybe it's a, uh, you're responding to the word that Rachel gave earlier or you felt encouraged by something that when Monica shared and, and you want prayer for that, then please do come and there'll be people here who will pray for you. Uh, and that would be great. But it may be that, uh, that God has spoken to you today and you've, you've thought and reflected on your own life. 
and thought, there are times when I try to do self-promotion and what God says is, oh, hold on, that's not my way. God doesn't mind excellence. He loves excellence. He just doesn't like self-promotion. So let's have just a moment of quiet and ask, ask God to just speak into our hearts. Perhaps some of those things in some of those areas of our lives where he says, I, I, uh, he, he's just challenging us to have a, to rethink, to re-examine our lives and say, I want you to serve and not seek self-promotion. Or maybe he's going to highlight some areas in your life. He goes, this is not something you've ever thought of before, but. I'd really like you to serve in this capacity. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come now and speak to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We thank you for the, the written word and in it finding the living word. We pray that you would come and speak to us. Father, we thank you that you call us friends. And that you've modelled a way of life of sacrifice and of service. And that you would speak to us areas of our life that we need to examine. Areas of our life that we, we've, we've sought self-promotion. Father, I pray that we would strive for excellence in all that we do but not seek greatness, but seek your son. Amen. And just one of the thoughts that came to me while we were praying is that a lot of the time when we seek self-promotion, it's because of a deep insecurity in our own self-worth and our own value. And that might speak to some of you, in which case, please do come and get prayer. Justin. So, um, as Paul mentioned, there's tea and coffee afterwards, and um, please come in if you uh, want prayer for anything, come out. Um, but I do also want to just very briefly reflect um, on uh, on today. And um, I, can't, I know uh, I do a fair bit of speaking in public, but I know even I... Someone's came up to me and said, you need to give a 30 minutes talk in 20 minutes time. Uh, that would uh, rock my world. Um, and the, when the worship team are up here or when the people preaching are up here, they don't do it to be applauded and it just doesn't feel right to applaud them because they help us engage with God. Um, but actually on this occasion, I'd just like to applaud Paul for giving such a fantastic talk today. Um, yes, please do stay with us for uh, coffee afterwards, um, and we'll just finish with a blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.